Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney and we're back after just four days between podcasts following Thursday's special edition with Stephen Espinosa announcing the nine-card August through December Showtime boxing schedule. And, and you know, for 24 hours or so, all the focus in the world of boxing was on that Showtime announcement. And quite rightly, it's a great sequence of fights. But then the skunk walked into the party. And to make matters worse, it turns out a lot of people are super into skunks. <laughs> um, especially skunks that have seen better days, maybe been run over on the road and then backed over a couple of times, <laughs> barely twitching, but still stinky. But anywho, people look at the barely animated skunk corpse and think, you know what? I still love that skunk. That was a great skunk. I'll bet it could still outskunk all the other skunks if it had a chance. And having really turned this analogy, this metaphor into roadkill myself, indeed, <laughs> might as well point out, because you haven't figured it out, that the skunk in this instance is two all-time great boxers with a combined age of 105, apparently agreeing to fight in September in a fight in which they may or may not be trying to actually win. Details are unclear. Yes, I'm talking about Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones, a mere 19 years later than it should have happened. Um, Eric, continuing the last vestiges of my skunk metaphor, how tightly are you pinching your nose over this? <laughs> oh, I'm not just pinching it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cutting off my nose to spite this fight. Uh, I, I really hate that this is happening, if it's happening. I mean, it's being funded by some company I've never heard of. So there's a degree of, I'll believe it when I see it. But assuming it happens, I hate it. And when I expressed that on Twitter, I got a little of the expected response. Yeah, but you'll watch it. And my reaction to that is, not if I have to pay for it. <laughs> um, and even if it was on free TV, I wouldn't make a point of being home to watch it. I'd be perfectly fine DVRing it and going out that night and watching it later or the next day or, or, or whatever. I don't see what's appealing to people about this. Yes, Mike Tyson is exciting and fascinating. But as a boxer, this isn't Mike Tyson. And yes, Roy Jones was an athletic marvel, but this isn't Roy Jones. This isn't even a real fight. It's an exhibition. And to some degree, that's a good thing. I, I don't want to see either of these guys taking real punches. But at least if it were a real fight, there would be some intrigue about how it goes. I mean, legitimately, in 2003 or so, and now in 2020, I'm not sure who wins a real fight. Uh, but but this isn't that. This is an exhibition where they've reportedly agreed not to try to knock each other out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah wh whoever's charging for this thing, you, you aren't getting my money. Yeah, seriously. I, I was thinking the same thing, that in a way, the fact that it's an exhibition is some kind of consolation here in that where we are coming from is that we would like both Roy Jones and Mike Tyson to end up not getting hurt by the right. whole enterprise. Which, um, and I, I have no idea what they're planning on charging for this. It's too much. However, they plan on charging for it. And um, I'd be perfectly happy if Roy and Mike get in the ring and just have a laugh. And the <laughs> right. people who spend whatever, $50, thinking they're going to see something else, get so burned that they decide not to go for this kind of nonsense ever again. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess afterwards, I sort of went through this, this whole phase of, you know, just being like you, feeling exactly the same about it as you. And then I did come back to the, you know, this is... It's just what you sign up for with boxing, isn't it? It's right. it's 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 not like you know, boxing's so busy embarrassing itself on a daily basis that this isn't gonna make anything worse. Um it's not taking a TV day from anyone. And then I thought, well, there's only so much pay-per-view to go around, these are tough times. 
we have a couple of very good pay-per-views coming up. And then I thought to myself, really, if you're thinking, if you know about Javante Davis and Leo Santa Cruz and are hoping you have the money to pay for it, you're probably not going to move that money instead to a Roy Jones, Mike Tyson exhibition in 2020. So I don't know who's going to buy this. You must have much more spare change than I do, (laughs) is all I can say. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right that it's it's a separate audience for the most part from the sort of people who would be buying the serious pay-per-views in September and October. Um, It's all nostalgia based and nostalgia may carry the marketing and, and trick a fair number of people into thinking they want to see this, but nostalgia stops being effective once the bell rings. Um, Like, you know, the, the whole Michael Jordan documentary was, did great numbers and and had everybody talking this spring, they were tuning in to watch Michael Jordan reflecting on prime Michael Jordan. They did not tune in to watch Jordan and Pippen and Barkley in their fifties shooting jumpers in a gym with no lift in their legs. Uh, It's, it's, I, I, that nostalgia for what these guys once were, it it only takes you so far. I, I think we saw some casual fans get excited about this announcement. I think they're going to end up very disappointed and, and very sad on September 12th by what this ends up being. The The one and only thing I like about it uh, is it's been believed for a while now that Roy Jones has money problems. So mm. if this is going to help him on that front, then I hope it sells well. I, I like Roy. Right. I would be delighted exactly. if he pockets a paycheck from this that, that makes his life better. Yes, I will definitely agree with that. And I think Mike is continuing to pay back all the tax liens that he's owed for 20 years or so as well. So, um, yeah, if those guys have a good time. Hey, look, it's it's apparently prompted Mike to get into shape. Apparently, this this might be what this is all about. I'm not quite sure which is chicken, which is egg. Right. You know, um, that's so that's great in and of itself, Uh, you know, because I'm sure that Mike's probably feeling a lot better about himself. Yeah. as, As long as these guys get a bit of money, have a good time. Leave without getting hurt. And there we go. We're not going to talk about the undercard at all, by the way. (laughs) No, no, we are not. (laughs) All right. But uh, if this exhibition does indeed come off, we will probably have to talk about it again. Um, The reason that we'll watch it in response to the people who responded to you is because we have to. Um, But in the meantime, let's move on. There are actually real fights to talk about uh, later in the show. We will analyze stoppage victories over the weekend for Virgil Ortiz Jr. and Joe Joyce, and we will discuss some outside-the-ring news. But let's circle back again to the return of Showtime Boxing. This Saturday, August 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern, the 100th professional boxing card ever held at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut will be the first live fight card on Showtime in 141 days, a televised triple header with no fans present. Uh, the card opens with a rematch of a minor upset in an exciting showbox fight last November as Marcus Escuduro tries to avenge his really quite controversial split decision loss to Joe George in a light heavyweight bout. Then it is a clash between two undefeated 122-pound prospects, uh, 19-0 Tremaine Williams against 16-0 Raiz the Beast Aleem. And in the main event, a mouthwatering battle of unbeatens in that same 122-pound division. Two familiar faces to Showtime boxing viewers. Stephen Fulton Jr. out of Philly, 18-0 with eight KOs, takes on Angelo Leo out of Las Vegas, a top prospect from the Mayweather promotion stable, risking his record of 19-0 with nine KOs. Yeah, and we'll break down all three fights. We'll make our official predictions, uh, which won't be easy, as all three of these look pretty close to even on paper. Uh, But first, let's hear from the fighters in the main event. This past Wednesday, Showtime held a Zoom press conference to announce the whole 2020 fight lineup. And Leo and Fulton had the opportunity to participate in the call, talk a little about themselves, this fight and where they're looking to go in the talent-laden 122-pound division. We should note this fight is for a vacant alphabet title, so you'll hear some talk at the presser about one of them becoming a world champion on Saturday. Also, you'll hear our boss, Showtime Sports President Steven Espinosa, weigh in. You'll also catch the voice of our friend in Showtime PR, Chris de Blasio. But the voice you'll hear first is recent Showtime Boxing Podcast guest Brian Custer, who hosted the press conference. So... Here's Brian with Stephen Fulton and Angelo Leo. 
Joining us now, cool boy Steph Stephen Fulton Jr. out of Philadelphia, taking on the unbeaten Angela Leo. He's from Albuquerque, fighting out of Las Vegas. They join us now. Fellas, uh, thanks so much uh, for joining me. Looking forward to our return August 1st. Angela, let's start with you. Out of Albuquerque, that's a town that has not seen a world champion since the late, great Johnny Tapia. I think it was 2002, last time he was world champion. What would it mean for you to become world champ representing Albuquerque? Uh, you know, it'd be the, you know, the world for, for me. You know, uh, Johnny Tapia is a fighter I look up to. So is Daniel Romero. And to become world champion out of Albuquerque says a lot about my city, says a lot about myself. So, you know, I'm ready to take on that, uh, that role to become a world champion and uh, become Albuquerque's next champion. Steven, we know what Philadelphia is all about. I mean, it's a fighting city. It has always had world champions there. But if you're victorious August 1st, you know you would be the only person currently right now from Philly that's a world champion. What would that mean to you? It means everything to me. You know, I feel like I always hold Philly on my back no matter what. Rather, it's five world champions. I'm going to still have that same mindset. And, you know, I'm coming to fight. I just want to get it on already. Uh, Angelo, you know, uh, cool boy Steph says he feasts off of undefeated fighters. He has already knocked off seven of them. Uh, he did an interview uh, and said that he's going to beat you easily. Uh, your response? Um, he could boast about his resume all he wants, but, you know, we're both top five in, in the in the world. Uh, we're both undefeated. Um, so it doesn't really matter once we get in there. You know, he's, he's, he has to be undefeated fighters, but if you look between the lines, you know, he's been rocked, he's been dropped in all those fights. And, um, you know, he's just he's not untouchable. And what do you expect is going to happen August 1st? I'm going to get the victory, of course, you know, whether it goes to 12 rounds or whether it goes less than 12 rounds, you know, I'm, I'm going in there to, to win that title. Cool boy. August 1st, two unbeatens. What should we expect uh, when Showtime Championship Boxing returns? You should expect a fight. You know, I'm coming to fight. He says he's coming to fight. We both coming to fight. You know, of course, I've been down before. Of course, I've been rocked before. And look where I'm at. I'm still staying. I'm still here. I'm number one in the division. I'm here to show you all that. Love it. Uh, Chris de Blasio, I know there are a number of people from the media who has got some questions uh, for these young, young uh, Lions looking to become world champions. I'll let you take it over so the media can ask questions. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Our first question is from DeMichael Cole from Philadelphia Inquirer. DeMichael. Hey, Steven. Uh, good to see you again uh, for, for this next fight. Um, if, have you looked at anything from from Angelo yet? And if so, um, what are you excited about about seeing, you know, um, what you can do against him? Uh, I'm just excited overall in every aspect of the way he fights, the way he, you know, shows his skill that he supposedly had. I'm just excited to just be in the ring with him, just to display my skills. So. What's what's the biggest thing you want to take advantage of, you know, with this opportunity? Obviously, you know, it's already been stated. You have a chance to to be Philadelphia's only champion at this point. But I know there are a lot of other personal motivators for yourself. Uh, what are some of those things? Personally, I just want to beat him, get past him, which I will do. I'm going to beat him and then we'll talk about future or whatever else I want to do. I'm just focused on this right now. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you to Michael. Um, we have Steven Espinoza. If we can uh, set him live, Richie, uh, Steven would like to join in the conversation here, make a comment. Yeah. What, what, what's, what strikes me about this fight in this card um, isn't just the quality at the top of the card with, with two, uh, two young emerging guys uh, fighting for a world title. Um, this August one card has five undefeated fighters and, and one fighter with, with the loss. And, and the one fighter with the loss is actually trying to avenge that in a rematch on this particular card. So this is a remarkably um, high quality competitive card, you know, top to bottom. Um, it's not just, you know, Fulton and Leo, although that one's a, a fight fans fight would no question. 
Um, each of these three fights is meaningful. It's among you know, top tier guys, rising stars. You know, these are the kinds of fights that sort out future champions from the guys who came close. So uh, of, of all the things, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of you know, big fights on this card. Um, this August one card is sort of quietly um, might be the, the most consistent top to bottom. I, I see three potential wars you know, in those three fights on August 1st. And the fact that it's sort of the first fight back on Showtime, I think is going to motivate all of these fighters. That's great, Stephen. Thank you. Set the table. Um, we're going to go to Sean Zittel. Sean, you unmute yourself. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Awesome to see uh, you two young guys getting it on while you're undefeated. Uh, awesome to see. Uh, Steve, Steph, you're never, you're never shy. Could you tell us kind of uh, explicitly why you will beat Angelo Leo? What's the difference between it? Is it your speed? Are you more creative uh, with your punch variety? Why, why are you going to beat this guy? I mean, I'm going to beat him because he hasn't been tested. Nothing, nothing, nobody has he fought has really brought any competition to him. I'm going to beat him because I've been tested. I'm going to beat him because I've took those those punches that put me down and, and, and showed that I could get back up. I'm going to beat him because I can beat him. I, my skill is better than his. My speed is better than his. I'm just all the way around better fighter than him. Uh, Angelo, I, you seem more like a reserved guy, but same kind of question. When you watch Steven, and I'm sure you've had a chance to look at him, what is it that you got that – tell us why you will beat him. What will separate you from him on fight night on the first? Uh, you know, I'm just more hungrier than him. You know, I've seen, uh, I seen what he has. I've seen that, you know, I can break him down. I see his, his will. He doesn't have the will like I do and the heart like I do. And I'll, on top of that, I also have a lot of skill. And um, on August 1st, he's going to see why I'm undefeated. Thanks, guys. Just can't wait to see the fight. Okay, great. Thank you. We have a question from Carlos Toro. Carlos, you want to go ahead? Hey, everybody. And thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for hosting everything. Uh, first question for Angelo. Uh, I remember a couple of fights ago that you've had. I remember it was Neil John Tabanel. And I remember you said right before that fight that you thought you were on in maybe two, three fights. Well, it, we are kind of within that two, three, five window. Do you feel that back then you were already ready to potentially be a world champion as far as your skill set is concerned? Do you feel like you needed a little bit more time? Do you think that the win that you had against Cesar Juarez, was that the fight that kind of made you think you're ready for the big time? Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I thought I was ready for a world title three, two, three years ago. So uh, with this Cesar Waters fight, you know, it just solidified why I'm ready for a world title. You know, he, um, I stopped him. I stopped Cesar Waters in spectacular fashion. I dropped him in the sixth and then I stopped him in the 11th. So that'll tell you right then and there that, you know, I'm in shape to go to 12 and I could still have my power and um, I could drop you in the middle of the round. So, you know, I'm ready for anything and I'm ready for that world title. Is question for Stephen. I mean, you your last fight, you were fighting, you know, at the Barclays Center in front of, you know, I think it was like somewhere between like 10,000 people on that night. Now you're kind of moving on to this empty arena type of setting. You feel like there's maybe a mental adjustment that you'll have to make when you have to step into the ring. I know the Charlos have said uh, previously on this conference that they think that it's really not going to be much of a factor because when you're in the zone, you don't really see a crowd. Is that kind of how you're approaching it as well? For sure. You know, I'm always looking to make those mental adjustments throughout the fight and uh, anything surrounding a fight. But I look at this like sparring, you know, and sparring is not that many people in the gym. And that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to have a, a, a wonderful time, have that same sparring feeling, that same sparring energy, but just a little bit more intense. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Stephen. Best of luck to the both of you on August 1st. Looking forward to the fight. Thanks as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, we're going to take one more one more for Angelo Leo and cool boy Steph. That's going to be from Kurt Emoff. Kurt, how are you? Good. Listen, uh, fellas, two undefeated fighters. Um, you guys were kind of considered prospects, uh, you know, not too long ago. Um, now you're fighting each other for a title. But not only that, um, PBC has, has very quietly acquired some some really great fighters uh, in this weight class, and you guys have a chance to kind of rise to the top. 
Um, I see there's Ray Vargas. There's obviously um, we got Brandon Figueroa, um, Daniel Roman. Um, it's pretty loaded. So you guys looking looking forward to uh, you know merging victorious and and taking on uh, some really good options. Louis Neary. I didn't even mention Louis Neary. I mean, there's some great fights out there for you guys. Um, should you become victorious? Have you thought about it? Yeah, you know, um, the 122-pound division is a is a loaded division, um, packed with great talent, and uh, it just makes for exciting fights. You know, this is what this is what boxing fans want, and uh, this is what we're going to give them. You know, great fights, uh, the best fighting the best, and in order to be the best, you got to fight the best. So, you know, that's if you're not in in boxing for for that reason, then you should be asking yourself, what are you doing in this sport? Because that's what I'm in the sport for, to be the best. And to do that, I got to fight, you know, the Ray Vargas's, um, all the champions in, in that division. And Steven, how about you? Uh, honestly, I just want to get past this guy right here and beat him. I'm not even worried about nobody else right now. But with that being said, all those guys, I feel like I'm the best in the division, honestly. I am the best in the division. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm number one in this in this, in this this division. That's why I feel like I prove myself over and over and over and over and over, and I continue to do that, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. The guys like Lewis Nary and Ray Vargas, they just lunch me. They fool for me now, and that's just motivation to get past him so I can get those other belts. I want to be the first undisputed 122-pounder in the world. If there ever was one, I don't, I don't believe it was one. I want to be the first one. I want to make history. I'm here to make history. And, I, and, I've, and I've always been fighting the best. Kieran, clearly cool boy Steph is the bigger talker of the two. Uh, also, for those of us who were watching the video of the press conference, he had a serious quarantine beard going uh, while Leo had himself some decent floppy quarantine hair. Uh, so th- there's my deep press conference analysis. Sorry if I stole any <laughs> male grooming related observations you were hoping to make, uh, Kieran. But uh, d- did you have any other takeaways from Wednesday's presser? Yeah, no, not really. Uh, other than that, you said it is clear that Fulton is is the talker. He's the guy who is supremely outwardly confident. And Leo, he's more of your, you know, guy, straightforward, no nonsense uh, assassin type. And that, that kind of fits with their fighting styles, really, I think, actually, the way they talk. You know, Fulton's the slicker, the flasher guy, and Leo's a little bit more of your, you know, just get stuck in it, starts digging to the body kind of a guy. Um, mm. So out of that, not especially um you know it was sort of what i expected i i'm not sure that i'd actually heard leo talk before but it was what is certainly what i expected from cool boy steph fulton right that's for sure um as for the actual matchup uh look we were both fairly impressed with fulton in january when he scored the most meaningful win of his young career outpointing arnold karai but uh fulton wasn't actually impressed with himself uh saying recently quote i was too worried about defense and stamina was holding back a lot. Um, We previewed that fight as a fairly straightforward boxer versus brawler matchup. Fulton, clearly the boxer. Um, To what extent, Eric, would you describe Fulton versus Leo the same way? Is this indeed boxer versus brawler or maybe there are a few more gray areas in this matchup that aren't quite so simple to define yeah i would say more gray areas not so simple to define leo might look like a brawler relative to fulton but compared to most guys he's actually kind of a classic boxer definitely a a very different look for fulton than kagai gave him Uh, fulton is very slick very quick he's a boxer he's a counter puncher he's economical and accurate and tough to hit too cleanly, has a good jab. Some of those same descriptions apply to Leo, although he's more inclined to lead, not quite as hard to find, uh, and he loves going to the body. I mean, he really (laughs) loves digging down there. According to CompuBox, 49.6% of his landed punches are body shots. He lands double the body punches per round that the average fighter lands. So, I look at Leo stylistically, he's very much in between a boxer like Fulton and a pressuring mm-hmm. fighter like Kagai. And I think this is a, a really interesting stylistic challenge for both fighters, really. Yep. Uh, so this fight was originally talked about for May, uh, then COVID-19 got in the way. Uh, so like all boxers, Fulton and Leo are coming off of layoffs. And this will be a fascinating test, not just this fight, but this whole card and all these fights coming up of who spent their time off wisely and who didn't and 
how these bizarre circumstances can affect a young fighter in the biggest step-up fight of his career, which is what this is for both of these guys. Leo says he trained consistently during the quarantine time, mostly at home with his trainer slash dad, Miguel. Uh, He admits he sparred in gyms, but won't name those gyms, presumably because they weren't supposed (laughs) to be open. Um, But from what we can gather, he stayed focused the last four months. Stephen Fulton says he never stopped running, doing his road work during the shutdown, though he did get a little high in weight in March, reaching 144 pounds, which is, you know, nothing crazy for a junior featherweight, but maybe a few pounds over where you'd want to see him. He said he got in some sparring, quote, at a private location. And this concerns me a little. He says he spent much of June and July training himself or training remotely with trainer Hamza Muhammad. Uh, The bigger concern, though, perhaps, is what's gone on outside the ring. We don't have details, but in talking to our colleagues at Showtime, Fulton said he's faced personal and familial issues the last few months and described himself as going from good guy to bad guy. Hmm. Kieran, how much does any of that concern you? And do you think we might see any unusual results over the months ahead based on how fighters have and haven't prepared for their COVID return fights? To take the last part first, I mean, we already saw a couple of mild upsets on that top rank on ESPN series, didn't we? Although they're nothing in terms of fights on the level we're going to see on Showtime over the coming months. And that first main event in Japan was was an upset Mm -hmm. with, you know, Cookie and Noteway losing. But uh, And so I wouldn't be at all surprised to find that you know, in some of the, particularly in the earlier bouts, as people are coming out of the lockdown, we we see some upsets or maybe at the very least see favorites who perhaps don't perform as well as we expect them to um, because they haven't been able to or haven't chosen to remain in, in peak fighting trim over the past several months. Um, and because quite a few of them are going to see say yes to fights with um, relatively short notice. Mm. You mentioned the Fulton's weight. And that's possibly another factor, right, in that we're going to have fighters who, you know, have a very short camps and are having to use a lot of that to get their weight off. I I don't imagine we'll see too many people do what Mark John Yap did the other week uh, (laughs) and just blow past their weight. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a few folks who are struggling maybe to make weight, uh, especially, again, in the early stages of of these comebacks. Um, I don't know whether we should... You know, there are any red flags raised by those by Fulton's comments there or not. There are peculiar comments, but, you know, about, you know, having those issues and having to go from a good guy to a bad guy. I don't know him at all. So I don't know. He might just be the kind of person who can't have an unexpressed thought. Right. right and right. Find, it's easier to just verbalize. Like, and maybe he's just a super honest guy. Hey, man, how you doing? Well, you know. I was a good guy and I'm a bad guy, but it is what it is. Um, whereas a lot of people might just take their their issues or whatever they've been going through and they'll crumple them up and push them down right. and they'll go into a fight saying everything's cool. And then when the fight is over and they've lost, they'll say, well, actually, I said that everything's cool. Right. <laughs> but in fact, I had all these issues that I was going the, through. The, so cr- the, the common phrasing of that is no excuses, but, and then but, make a bunch of excuses. But, right. Precisely. So maybe he just turns that around the other way and just, you know, it's just a very honest guy and gets that, you know, out of the way in advance, in which case maybe there's nothing to worry about. Um, I, I just don't know him at all. Right. Haven't, don't can't say enough about it. It's a peculiar comment, but... You know, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> That's what we're here for with our preview, to say, yeah, this yeah, we'll could see. be an issue, but we don't really know. Uh, we've, we've never met the guy who the hell knows. Um, what I do know uh, is that this is a very strong 122-pound division, um, especially in terms of young fighters. Uh, in addition to these two, uh, and indeed the, the other two we've got on the card, we've got Emmanuel Navarrete, if he stays at the way, uh, Murajan Akhmadaliyev, my own personal favorite, uh, Ray Vargas, Danny Roman, Brandon Figueroa, um those last two coming up on showtime in the coming months um if either leo or fulton wins impressively where does that winner slot in here and is it actually possible that the most talented fighter at 122 pounds might end up in that mohegan sun ring on saturday night it's very possible um first off 
it does appear Navarrete is leaving the division, moving up to 126, and he's widely viewed as as the top guy. Uh, if if he weren't leaving, he would be a, a lot of yep. people's pick for the top guy. Um, of those other names you ran down, Akhmedaliev seems to have the most talent, the most upside. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to learn over the course of the next year or two that indeed Fulton or Leo is as good or better than Akhmedaliev. Uh, now, they won't have proven that with this one fight on Saturday. Uh, the winner of this fight doesn't become number one at 122 pounds in any impartial merit-based rankings, no matter how dominant he is in this fight. But I think whoever wins this fight jumps into the top five. Um, I'm looking at the Transnational Boxing Rankings Board rankings. Guillermo Rigondeau is apparently still the lineal champ at 122. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, But either way, he doesn't take up a spot in the top 10 because they have him labeled as the champ. So below him, it's Vargas 1, Navarrete 2, Akhmedaliev 3, Roman 4, and Ryosuke Iwasa 5. I think the Fulton Leo winner, barring a bad decision or something like that, right? has to slot in above Iwasa and, and jump into the top five. So so that's what's at stake here. You know, to me, it's, you know, forget the alphabet belt. To me, this is for a legit top five spot in a legitimately good division. And the winner is in position for a big showdown with another top five guy very soon after this. Uh, the co-feature on Saturday is in the same division, proving just how deep 122 pounds is with undefeated up-and-comers. It's Tremaine Williams, 19-0, six KOs, and one no decision, fighting out of New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, so this is more or less a home game for him. He's taking on Raiz the Beast Aleem, who impressed us in his Showbox debut in February, stopping Adam Lopez to improve to 16-0 with 10 knockouts. Here's an interesting twist. Alim is a natural lefty who fights orthodox for the most part. Williams is a natural righty who fights southpaw and <laughs> idolizes Pernell Whitaker. In fact, he says the late Sweet Pea is the only fighter he watches. Um, <laughs> Kieran, uh, I know you checked out a little video uh, of Williams as I did. How much does Williams, in fact, remind you of Pernell Whitaker? What do you recall from watching Aleem on Showbox last time out? And any other thoughts on this matchup and these fighters and, and what their ceilings look like? Man, you're just, I'm mean, not you, but one generally is just painting a target on a young kid when, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he, you're comparing him to an all-time great. Although in this case, you know, William's kind of asked for it himself. Right, right. Um, you know, I remember when uh, Zab Judah was coming up and Max Kellerman referred to him as Pernell Whitaker with a punch yep. all the time. And much love to Max. Um, wasn't necessarily a great analogy then and hasn't aged well, of course. Um, but this is a good point to to uh, uh, point out the difference between comparing somebody and equating them. Right. There's a difference. Um, you know, if you're comparing somebody stylistic to a highly successful forebear, doesn't mean you're saying they're the same kind of fighter. Um, and you know what? I get it. I, I get it. Watching Williams, uh, I do understand. I, I don't know that it's a very good idea for a fighter to only watch video of one other fighter, no matter how good that fighter is. <laughs> right. But, you know, to each his own, I suppose. Um, you know, but look, as you said, he fights southpaw. He fights with that right hand low. Um, he has that nice, sharp, short, straight left hand. I really like watching him, actually. I mean, his stance is just right. He's very nicely balanced and compact. Um, you know, he's very poised in the ring. He, he's very smart. He, he, he has, you know, tremendous natural gifts, and he's focused in the ring. I don't know if I hadn't gone into the video knowing that the comparison was being made that I would necessarily come away going, oh, my God, it's like a young Pernell Whitaker. <laughs> right. But, but I, I, I get it. It's a bit of a stretch, but, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. And he is, a, I find him a very enjoyable and impressive fighter to watch. Um, you know, and as for Aleem, uh, yeah, I, I definitely remember quite clearly his performance against Lopez. And in fact, I look back to see what I said on the post-fight podcast, with, and I quote myself here. Uh, I was very impressed with Aleem. Like the controlled relentlessness of his assault, um, very mature performance uh, for a young man. And I remember saying, I felt watching him as if this is a guy who I could easily see making a jump from Showbox to Showtime Championship Boxing. And here we are. How prescient of me. Called it. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and it's interesting, we were talking a little bit earlier in terms of Angelo Leo in, in the sense that, like, does he really count as a brawler, as a pressure fighter? It's a little bit similar in a way with Rui Salim, isn't it? Like, he's also a bit of a pressure fighter, but again, not in that 
put his head on your chest and just come barreling forward kind of a guy. Right. But he, but he sits there comfortably in mid-range. He cuts off the ring well. And he then just does keep coming at you, throwing, you know, really good straight combinations. He's not flash, but he's really, really solid. He's got tremendous energy. He's constantly throwing and, and with hard punches as well. So he's a really intriguing guy to watch. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by, again... Uh, we got some contrasting styles in this matchup. And as for their ceilings, it's a little hard to say. And I find it a little bit harder to say maybe about Williams than about than Aleem. You know, guys like that, uh, like Williams, who rely on like outslicking their opponents somewhat and, and and looking, you know, much more technically adept. The fact that you can get away with it on your way out doesn't necessarily mean you can get away with that as you go up against higher opposition, right? right. Like you can look really good and dominant and classy and flash, and then you find that it's not working against other guys. So that's a little difficult to say, whereas, you know, guys, the stars like Aleem, they, they're, they're tough for all kinds of foes, and you sort of know what you're getting there. I think I look at the two, and I think to myself, the eye test tells me maybe Williams has potentially the higher ceiling but partly because of the nature of their styles, I'm more confident in Aleem's ability to reach his own ceiling than I am in Williams to reach his. How about that? Yeah, I could see that. All right, rounding out the card. It is the rematch between Joseph George, 10-0, and 0, six KOs out of Houston, and Marcus Escudero, 10-1, and 1, nine KOs from Argentina. Escudero, the only guy on this card with a loss on his record. But that highly controversial coming against George in their first fight. Uh, Escudero was favored to win when they fought last November on Showbox in Sloan, Iowa. And a lot of people, including our friend Steve Farhood on the broadcast, thought he did win. And convincingly so. But the split decision went George's way. So George remains undefeated. Escudero has just that one loss. Um, Escudero's promoter, Samson Esquitz, said bluntly, <laughs> if Escudero doesn't knock George out this time, he's horseshit. <laughs> so, no pressure there. Um, what do you think about coming from Samson? Uh, and do you agree with Steve Farhood that the wrong guy got the decision last time? So uh, Maybe a little strong there from Samson. Um, <laughs> but I, I get the sentiment if he was going for he'd better get the win this time or Escudero isn't a prospect worth putting a lot more time and effort into. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Their first fight, I said at the time that it felt like the wrong guy got the decision, but that maybe it wasn't quite as wide as Steve had it. But what I said on the post-fight podcast in November was that, unfortunately— the controversial result obscured what an excellent fight and what a great piece mm. of matchmaking this was. You know, Escadero and George was a tremendous style matchup. And whether Escadero does or doesn't perform better and get the win this time, I think it's bound to be a fun fight. Um, and, and the CompuBox stats from that first fight give us a pretty good idea of what to expect. Escadero out through George 911 punches to 545, which is a huge difference, but he only outlanded him 177 to 161. Uh, Still, it's unusual to see judges side with a guy who gets outworked as badly Mm -hmm. as George did. Uh, I don't think I'd advise George to spend as much time on the ropes covering up in the rematch, even though that approach did get him a win the first time. Uh, okay, it's time for predictions. Uh, been quite a while since we've done this. Yeah. I, I almost forgot how it works. Uh, and so if you, the listeners, have forgotten, here's your refresher. It's one point if we get the winner, uh, one additional point if we get the method of victory, one bonus point if we pick decision and get the type of decision correct, or three bonus points if we predict a knockout and get the round of the knockout correct. Uh, and I look back and... I was surprised. I had forgotten. I'm not as far behind you as I thought I was when on last week's pod, I was stumping for a clean slate or an asterisk. (laughs) Um, In the final fight before COVID shut everything down, or really kind of while COVID was shutting everything down, uh, I got the round of that Brandon Lee knockout exactly right, giving me three bonus points and pulling me within one point. So it's currently... 24 to 23 in your favor and we'll be making picks on all three fights on this card and let's work our way up to the main event so i'm up first with my prediction for the opener george escadero 2 
where we find out is Marcus Escudero horseshit. Uh, <laughs> one, one other element of this matchup to mention is that Escudero has a new trainer. Uh, Kevin Cunningham is now the head man in his corner. Kevin is a great trainer, so that, that can't hurt. These are clearly competitively matched fighters, but Escudero a seems like the guy who can do more things and make more adjustments and has more room to grow and B probably deserved the decision last time. So I'm inclined to pick Escadero, but I lean toward him getting called horseshit by his promoter because despite his high knockout percentage, that was built against really soft opposition. I don't get the sense that he's really that huge of a puncher. So I think this fight goes the distance again, but this time I'll say Escadero gets the nod, deservedly, unanimous decision somewhere in the 7-3, to 8-2 to two range. Uh, yeah, I again think that on, a, on the Samson Efkowitz scale, uh, he is indeed horseshit. But, um, <laughs> you know, look, I mean, George had his moments in the very later parts of the fight. He did stun Escudero a little bit uh, in the ninth round. If he can wake up earlier, if, as you said, he can not spend his time up against the ropes and actually do more fighting in the center of the ring and actually uh, bring himself into the contest earlier, he could actually make this uh, a, a better contest and could conceivably wind up with the win that this time he actually deserves. But Escudero, like you said, does seem to be the guy who comes into this with, with inherent advantages. Um, I just think he's probably just that little bit better. Sometimes also, I think that judges are aware when a guy got the wrong decision the last time and are perhaps a little subconsciously inclined to give the guy who got wronged a little bit of a break. Um, I think it's probably going to be close again. I do think that Escudero is going to take the decision. I think it'll be really close, but I also think it's going to be unanimous, but very, very close. Okay. Uh, as for Williams, Aleem, I had a very hard time picking this. This might have been one of the most difficult picks, maybe the best difficult pick I've had to make so far this this year. Um, two young undefeated guys, as we said, high ceilings, contrasting styles. I look at Williams and, you know, like we said, if even if the Whitaker comparisons are overdone, I do see a potential there for some really, really high quality. But... Styles like that can come unstuck against opponents who are hard to deter, who keep bringing it, and especially those who are really un- who are really comfortable sitting in mid range, you know, who you know don't necessarily need to be right on top of your chest, but are still able to put pressure on you from a slight distance. Um, I can see a wide variety of possible outcomes here. I'm not sure that very much would shock me, but I think on balance. The most likely scenario is that Williams starts quite well, quite smoothly. Um, that Aleem is perhaps having problems initially in those first couple of rounds, getting set, getting in front of Williams, who's moving quite quite well. But I think that probably around round three or four, Aleem's going to get his range right. He's going to start backing Williams up. Williams, a little bit of a counterpuncher, is maybe not going to get quite the opportunities as Aleem warms up to do that counterpunching. You know, he's still going to take an extra couple rounds down the stretch to make it very, very close. Um, I think it's going to be very close. It's a decision win for Reese Aleem. And just to make things a little different, if it were 12 rounds, I'd feel more confident saying that he would pull away and get a unanimous decision. But I'm going to go for the rarely picked majority decision win for Reese Aleem. Okay. I, I like the pick. Uh, it's interesting. We see this fight. Uh, very differently in in terms of the way it's going to play out. Uh, But I think one thing we agree on is we both love this fight. Uh, I I, I really love the matchup. Aleem is is very unproven, uh, but I certainly liked what I saw against Adam Lopez, who is not an easy fighter to stop. But I'm more impressed by the skill set of Tremaine Williams. He's slick. He's compact. He can punch a little better than his mere six knockouts suggest. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Purnell Whitaker comparisons make sense. That's very obviously who he should remind people of. Not on Purnell's level, obviously, as you said, but he's not a fraud either. There's a high right. level of talent there with Williams. If his head is screwed on straight, and this is a guy who's been in and out of jail four times, so there are some questions there. But if his head is screwed on straight, I think he's the favorite here. Um my initial sense was that the the sort of chalk pick uh, is Williams by decision, 
But the more I thought about it, the more I'm inclined to go slightly counterintuitive and say that, uh, again, uh, you and I see this fight going in opposite directions in the sense that I think it's that Aleem's success will come more early. Uh, and then I can see Williams wearing Aleem down, frustrating him, outslicking him, and eventually forcing a stoppage. Uh, I, I think it's a, a fight that starts out very competitive, but then gets one-sided in the back half as Williams's skill carries him up a level. I expect a very aesthetically pleasing match of styles here, an engaging yep. fight. I'm going to go with Williams KO9. And that right there is why that is a good matchup. Yeah, exactly. Anything that can make the two of us who agree on everything disagree completely, <laughs> you know, it's a good piece of matchmaking. Um, on to the main event. Uh, another tremendous piece of matchmaking. Um, as with the Fulton Kagai fight, we're going to learn a lot about these fighters. And as with Fulton Kagai, both winner and loser could see their stocks go up here. I really struggled with this one. My head was saying Fulton all along, but my gut kept telling me, don't sleep on Leo, don't underestimate him, and don't underestimate the impact of a sustained body attack, especially if Fulton did indeed have any holes in his preparation. Still, I'm going to go with the head. I think Fulton's slickness, and he seems to have toughness to go with it, I think that carries him through, but man, it's close. I'm I'm expecting a closer fight than Fulton Kagai, and, and that was a competitive, somewhat close fight. With Fulton Leo, I'm envisioning something a little like uh, a guy uh, who, who's already been referenced on this podcast, Zab Judah, his fight with Lucas Matisse, where one guy is clearly faster and slicker, but mm -hmm. it's never enough to separate himself, and the fight is just nip and tuck all the way, and the judges have their hands full after 12 rounds. Uh, but like I said, I'll go with the head. I'll go with my Philly guy, cool boy Steph, split decision. Interesting. Uh, I, again, I also thought this was a very tough pick. Um, but I did actually feel in the end as if it was a smidgen less tough for me than the co-main. Um, because to me, one guy does feel to be of a little bit of a higher caliber than the other. Um, you know, Leo's a strong fighter. He's got wins over quality opposition. And what's interesting to me is he seems to be actually looking better as the quality of his opposition has increased. Mm -hmm. Um but Fulton just feels to me like he has that more accomplished all-round game. I think that he's better technically, particularly in terms of how compactly he boxes, how short he punches. I feel like he might have that extra gear to go to. The wild card is what we've alluded to, is some of the comments that Fulton's made about his weight. Uh, there's concerns about his preparation and so on. Um I'm working on the assumption that he's worked through all that and that we've got a pretty good Stephen Fulton in there. Um, you know, both men are pretty precise, uh, land with a high percentage or economical, don't waste their punches. Um, Fulton also, while not quite the body punch of Leo, does like to throw the body himself. I think that, you know, Fulton's the slightly more conservative boxer, and I think that will actually work to his advantage over 12. I think that it's going to be nip and tuck, back and forth, each guy trying to impose his style on the other over the course of, of the fight. I just kind of think it's going to be in the balance, and I'm picking Fulton to just sneak out those last couple rounds to take a 115-113 kind of decision. It's going to be very close, yet unanimous. Okay. One first thing, one thirteen. So we uh, we're back in business, and we are diverging from the off for a change. So there you change. go. Yep, indeed. Shot happened again. Um, <laughs> so anyway, clearly a lot. So actually, it might because a lot of these cards. Yeah. I was just gonna say, there's a lot of fights coming up on this schedule that are are, are not an easy pick. There's not a clear oh. A side. No. So that's 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 how we like it. All right. Um, so a lot to look forward to uh, on August first. Uh, let's look back. This past weekend, there were a couple of minor-ish fight cards at Fantasy Springs Casino in California. Yay. The return of Golden Boy Boxing on zone was headlined on Friday night by Virgil Ortiz Jr. against Samuel Vargas. As we anticipated, Ortiz was in control most of the way, uh, convinced referee Jack Reese to halt the welterweight contest with just two seconds remaining in the seventh round. Vargas protested the stoppage a little, but one of the beauties of not having fans around, as we could hear Reese explaining quite clearly, 
dude, you were getting beaten up over the last <laughs> okay. couple of rounds. Um, and he had been. I thought it was a very mature performance from Ortiz, who spent the first four rounds clearly establishing an advantage and figuring everything out. Sort of took a deep breath to reset during the fifth mm-hmm. and then came out in the sixth like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to try and finish this job now. Um, beyond that, probably not a whole lot to say about the fight. It was the tune-up that we expected. Um, but afterward... Ortiz uh, threw out some big names. Uh, He said, I would like to fight Danny Garcia or Keith Thurman. Um, They're good opponents I can beat. I want to take risks. I'm not here to take easy fights. I am in the hardest division in boxing, so when I win a title, it will mean a lot more. Uh, Wow. Certainly no shortage of of confidence and ambition there. Um, Is he ready, Virgil Ortiz, for Danny Garcia or Keith Thurman? Quite possibly. Uh, I think... If you sign those fights tomorrow, I might make Ortiz a very slight underdog against Garcia. And I think I make him actually a very slight favorite over Thurman. Uh, You know, since Thurman's been on the shelf a fair amount the last couple of years, may or may not be all that motivated to fight anymore. Um, But regardless of whether one agrees or disagrees with who I'm slightly favoring in those fights... Just because Virgil Ortiz could compete with and beat those opponents at this point doesn't mean he should be fighting them right now. There's no rush. You know, Ortiz is 22. He he still has a lot to learn, a lot of styles to see in the pro ring. If I'm guiding him, I'm looking for one or two of the old fading ex-champ types as names on his resume. Uh, An Amir Khan or or a Jesse Vargas. Someone one notch below Garcia and Thurman. I'm looking for those kind of guys first. And then, about a year or so from now, after two or three more fights, then you take the leap. But I just don't see the point in doing it right now when the opportunity will still be there in a year or so and you can be, you know, 5% better prepared for it when it comes. Yeah, I think he might blow Khan out, actually. Uh, Jesse Vargas would be a really interesting fight. Right. Um, and he'd have a, you know, Khan's speed might give him a hard time at first, but I think he catches Amir. Um, Jesse's a great fight for him. Really yeah. Good fight. Yeah, Jesse's the one where you're you're much more likely to get a lot of rounds in. Khan yeah. could be a dangerous fight and a tough test, but you're absolutely right with it. Amir's chin. Uh, it might not last too long. Um, but uh, you notice uh, I didn't, mention Ortiz versus Samuel Vargas anywhere in that response because it was a wholly forgettable fight. Um, (laughs) Not so for one of the undercard fights. Um, I'm going to have trouble getting this one out of my head. Senecia Estrada knocking out 42-year-old cancer survivor and mom Miranda Adkins in seven seconds. Uh, That was scary. Uh, I know there are only so many opponents to choose from in some of these women's weight classes, and I realize Atkins had a 5-0 and record, but that's somebody's mom. Uh, she she yeah. looked like a mom. I, I don't want to be insulting, but you know, let's just say that was really dangerous matchmaking. Estrada yeah. is way too young and skilled to be in the ring with someone like that. I hope Atkins is okay. That was extremely unpleasant to watch. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, Atkins had a 5-0 and record. The cumulative record of her opponents in those first five fights was 0-2. Her <laughs> opponents' records were, going from her first fight to her fifth, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-2. Wow. So she'd never faced anyone who, she'd only faced one person who'd had a fight before. And one of the, one of the, losses on that zero and two was was to her so um, oh wow okay (laughs) yeah so yeah that was and and estrada in contrast is actually a legit you know very 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 good fighter no disrespect to atkins she's clearly a very just being a cancer survivor alone Mm -hmm. shows for her to be a strong and brave person and no no disrespect to estrada she had a job to do um and as sergio mora pointed out at least you know she didn't you know, celebrate as if she'd knocked out Mike Tyson or anything that had happened. But Maya, Maya Atkins, she didn't even know how to tuck her chin. Uh, I mean, that was, that was horrible. Uh, Somebody could have, Atkins could have got very badly hurt there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, something a a little less horrible, but still not that great as we round out our recap of uh, of fights from the weekend. Uh, We saw a card from England on Saturday headlined by heavyweight Joe Joyce. Uh, As discussed last episode, he took a tune-up for his 
upcoming domestic showdown with Daniel Dubois. And in that tune-up, after a shaky first round in which the reflexes impaired Joyce ate a few flush right hands, he went on to make quick work of Germany's Michael Wallisch using body punches to drop Wallisch in the second and twice more in the third to earn the stoppage. Joyce weighed 270 pounds, a career high, about 10 to 15 pounds above his usual weight, but he looked to me like his usual self, aggressive, heavy-handed, and very (laughs) slow. Uh, Kieran, did you see anything here that might tip how he'll fare against Dubois if indeed that fight happens in October? Not especially, I think. I think that first round in particular, sort of to circle back to the question you were asking earlier, can we expect any upsets coming out of this? I think perhaps this show, that first round, showed the value of having an interim bout. Mm -hmm. Um, It's better that your timing's off and you get cracked by Michael Valish than your timing's off and you get cracked by Daniel Dubois early on. Uh, I think this fact just showed us what we already know about Joyce. If you, if he's able to get ahead of steam going, he's probably going to run you over. Um, you know, the question is what he can do when somebody comes back at him and comes back at him consistently. Uh, Volish, Volish was able to do that a bit for one round. Dubois should be able to do that to far greater effect for much longer, assuming that he gets through his, uh, his own tune up. So, right. Um, in other news, uh, <laughs> we can't seem to go a week uh, without an item on this matchroom card in Tulsa. Uh, we have an update here. As the plan headliner, Julio Cesar Martinez against McWilliams Arroyo is off. Uh, Martinez has what has been termed a, quote, non-COVID-19 related illness. So it's Cecilia Brakus against Jessica McCaskill in the main event for August 15th. Um, before that... Uh, the Matchroom YouTube channel will be streaming another intriguing fight this Saturday, August 1st, as Trisaket Surong Bisai returns against Amnat Runrong. Um, Runrong's got some chops. He has wins over the aforementioned McWilliams Arroyo and John Real Casimero, um, although Casimero knocked him out in a rematch. Um, he hung the first loss on Kazuto Ayoka and on Su Ming, which isn't all of that. But uh, he is getting on. He is 40. Mm-hmm. Against that, you know, Strisaket's level of engagement has seemed a bit back and forth, uh, you know, ever since he, he produced the, the win over Estrada. He, you know, he's only had the two meaningful fights. Uh, since the second win over Chocolatito, both against Estrada, one win, one loss. And then he's also sort of taken himself away a little bit. Had a couple of quiet fights back in Thailand. There's been, you know, talk about some emotional issues and and some personal issues. So I don't know how engaged he is at the moment. I think that'll be important. One would make Strisica, I think, a fairly big favorite here, but a lot depends on where his head at there. But it's an intriguing contest. Yeah, it's not bad, but I've got uh, other boxing I'm more focused on on Saturday, August 1st. than. uh, Well, indeed so. so. Um, Moving on to a couple of sad news items, two boxing deaths to report, starting with one of the most respected and most quotable trainers in boxing, Nazim Richardson, widely known as Brother Nazim. He passed away on Friday, far too young, just 54 years of age, from an undisclosed, quote, long illness he'd reportedly been battling. Nazim, of course, was the trainer of Bernard Hopkins after B-Hop split with Bowie Fisher. He also trained Shane Mosley for a few years and is best known in that regard for discovering the foreign objects in Antonio Margarito's hand wraps in 2009 before his fight with Sugar Shane. Many boxing folks paid tribute to Nazim on social media when the news hit, including Bernard saying, quote, I lost my dad early this morning, which tells you how close they were, but also is amusing because Bernard was born one year before Brother Nazim. <laughs> um, Kieran, I believe you met and interviewed Nazim at some point over the years. Any thoughts to share? Yeah, look, I wouldn't pretend to have known him well or even really at all. But yeah, I did have the opportunity uh, you know, to talk with him and interview him uh, uh, quite a few times. I did chuckle at that, Bet Bernard's description of him. Um, and I was surprised to see how young that he was. I was surprised right. by that because there was something about him that did always exude this sort of maturity, if you will, and wisdom. He seemed yeah. old beyond his years. He, he had somehow. that wise old man energy or aura. Didn't kind he? Of, yeah. Yeah, didn't he? And it's like, you know, partly because of the way he carried himself and he he always appeared to have this sort of perpetual scowl, although those people who knew him far better than me said he could be, you know, a cheerful and funny guy when he let down his guard. And he had this sort of deep gravelly voice. And when he spoke, he did so with with, with thoughtfulness and, and, and consideration. He was obviously a super smart dude, um, as well as being a very 
uh, smart and caring trainer. Um, the, there was a quote of his that I saw during all the tributes, and I'm going to butcher it, but the essence of it was when he was asked about, you know, the kids he was teaching to box in his gym, he said something to the effect of, we want to create good people, and if it turns out that they can box, so much the better, um, mm. which I think probably sums up his attitude, really, to, to his boxers. Yep. Um, also, uh, Scott Pope, managing editor of Fight News, known uh, widely as Flattop, died of a heart attack at age 60. He was quite the character. Uh, freelancing for him was a rite of passage for a lot of writers and photographers, a good er way early in your career to get a credential, go and cover a fight for Flat Top for Fight News. Uh, there was a period in the relatively early days of boxing websites, long before Twitter, when Fight News really occupied a spot all by itself. It was the place that you yep. would go to and that you would repeatedly refresh to get the breaking news and fight reports. And Flat Top you know, played a very important and energetic role at the heart of that. So, uh, again, like Nazim, 60 years old, that's just far too young. People are dying far too young. I'm yeah. not in favor of it. Um, so rest in peace and, and condolences to uh, his loved ones. All right. That will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week with in-depth coverage and analysis of the Fulton Leo triple header. And you know that one way or the other... Our predictions contest is going to see some considerable movement. That's true. So, yeah, there you go. So we will also next week continue to look ahead to the rest of the upcoming Showtime schedule. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe. Be kind. <laughs>